All right, hello everyone. This is Father Michael Trummer here with another episode of The Normal Christian Life. We're excited to have for the first time one of many guests, Laura Shoulders, a great friend of ours from Owensboro, Kentucky. We will be talking about what's called the fear of man today. Just to say right away, fear of man is not fear of biological males. It's just more uh, a fear of what other people think, fear of uh, the opinions of others, really basing our decisions off of what other people will think of us. We're going to talk about that for most of the time, but just we want to give Laura a chance to introduce herself and just share a story of how she's come to experience more of the Holy Spirit a lot of these, uh, a lot of this podcast is exciting just because we're taking these ideas about the Christian life and the Holy Spirit, and we're putting flesh to it. Like, what does this actually look like in people's lives? What does it look like? What does it look like when the Holy Spirit, when we become more engaged with the Holy Spirit? So, welcome, Laura, and it's good to have you. You want to just give us a brief introduction and just tell us how you came to know the Holy Spirit more? Yeah, thanks for having me, Father Michael, Father Chris, Joe. Really happy to be here. Um, yeah, so my story um, is is probably a little bit unique. I was raised in a, in a home. I have one brother and my parents, my mom's Catholic and my dad um, was not practicing any faith. I believe he was um, may have identified himself as Baptist or Methodist uh, on his dog tags for the military, but that was about the extent of it. Um, and so shortly after my confirmation, um, I just stopped going to church. Uh, my mom it was the one who always took us to church and just stopped going altogether. And so um, for many, many years, I, I say I was um, out of the church for 25 years because basically um, I was in the church of Laura. <laughs> um, that's, that's what I... That's how I tend to share that. So, yeah, so I was not married, um, had two children, and um, found myself in a place where um, I had gone back to college as an adult and was doing all the things. You know, there was a lot of shame from getting pregnant whenever I was 16 years old and then pregnant again at 21. And um, so I went back to college as an adult and got my bachelor's degree and my master's degree and whenever I was no longer like doing the things, there was just this desire. When my, when my life got quiet again, there was a desire for me to just return to my faith. And I felt like this pull of God bringing me back, bringing me back, bringing me back. And um, I went on a weekend retreat, one of those three-day weekend retreats where you die. <laughs> you die and you rise with Christ, right? Um, and that really started to awaken something in me for the first time in my life that I heard, and I'm not saying that it wasn't said before, but for the first time in my life, I heard that I could have a personal relationship with God, that it could be personal. And in the months that followed that weekend experience, um, I feel like I just um, began to really have a new um, desire and a new hunger. For the first time in my life also, I had felt this overwhelming love that I had never experienced before. And it was the nameless, faceless body of Christ loving me just for nothing. I never experienced that. And that love, I believe, permeated 
oh, really like this exterior that I had built up. Um, and so I, I, there was a hunger that was just, just started to just um, develop in me, a hunger to actually know this person, this personal, uh, like, God that I did not know. And, I, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I'd had all of the catechesis, I'd been the good student and all of that, but it was whenever I actually started um, opening myself up is whenever God just met me right there. And um, it really began kind of, um, I didn't even know what to do. I had never had a devotional. I had never really had a prayer life uh, aside from rote prayers that I would, I don't even know if I prayed them or said them. You know, did I just say them or did I pray them? Um, but mostly in times of, of desolation or um, fear or just a place where I didn't really know what else to do. Those And I, there's, that's the beauty of the rope prayers is you don't have to think about them, that they're just there, you know. But um, I couldn't pray to a God I didn't know, you know. And so in the next couple of years, I think that... I just had this curiosity, and so I pressed in and be, actually got a Bible. I didn't even have a Bible. I, I got a Bible. I actually started looking at it, praying with a devotional, um, becoming more involved. I started going back to Mass regularly. And in 2000, that was in 2010. And in 2012, um, I had been on a journey because in my um, – professional life I was a practicing psychotherapist and as I had welcomed God into my life um, I had um, started to have a different lens of things and for the first time um, I began asking God questions and I was in this pursuit of how did I come to be who I am today I would see patients sitting across from me and we would have very similar stories as far as the way that um, we would think and act. And it's like, but my, I don't have that tragedy or I don't have this. So how are we so similar? And um, it was in the pursuit of that, how did I come to be who I am today, that God just met me there time and time again. And there were uh, works, books, more time in the scripture. Um and in 2012, I was pre preparing to give a talk. I was asked to give a talk on one of those similar weekends. And for the first time in my life, I asked God a question. I invited him into a decision. And I didn't even know that was a thing. I didn't even know that, that people consulted the Lord on the decisions of their life. I was almost 40 years old. And I never knew that. And I don't know how. Uh, I, di I didn't really focus on how did I miss this. I just knew that... Um, I had never asked him before and it was just seemed so normal to ask him, you're supposed to share part of your testimony. And I'm like, all right, Lord, you know, I got this big old story and I got 25 minutes. What do you want me to share? And within a few hours, a girl that I had come to know, uh, called me. Uh, she actually sent me a text message and we were associates, but we weren't like friends who actually had conversations on the phone. And she sent me a text message and she said, can I call you? And I'm sure. So, you know, she called me and she said, um, the Lord just has placed you on my heart and um, I, I feel like I'm supposed to pray with you. Is that okay? And I'm like, sure. 
you know, she had no idea what I was preparing for, you know, and I had asked God this question. And um, funny enough, I'm like, literally, I'm at home by myself, half dressed, getting ready to go somewhere. And, you know, she, she calls me and she says, I need to go get my Bible because he's given me a number and I believe it's a psalm that I'm supposed to pray over you. And I said, all right, you know, and she comes back with her Bible and look, she she wasn't Catholic, um, but very much a Christian and very uh, much filled with the spirit of God. And she starts to proclaim Psalm 139 over me. Yeah. And um, I came to, I felt the power of God come on me and I came to, and I was on my knees on the floor, leaning over the bed, and I was laughing and crying, and I could just feel the tangible presence of God all over me, and um, it was very similar to that feeling that I had felt two years prior whenever the, the, the nameless, faceless love of God flooded me, and I, I was awake that entire night um, with this electricity just going through my body, just preparing the talk that I was going to be giving because I was, it was interesting enough that I was previewing that talk for the team that next morning. So this was in the afternoon that day before, and I was awake all night preparing that talk and went and delivered that, that talk. And it was just Probably a great talk. <laughs> it, it was just, um, it was, it was just, it was so powerful. And I was marked at that moment. And I don't think I even knew it at the time, but I believe that those, that was like my baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, the first time that I felt that flood of love was two years prior. But when I was overcome under the power of God to where I was um, a little outside of myself, that was the first time that I really believed. That was in 2012, November. I'll never forget. I was marked. And um, there were things that were spoken over me Um as that weekend came within the next couple of weeks, um, I remember very clearly that were proclaimed over me. And one of them um, was Esther 414 for such a time as this. And the spiritual director of that weekend, it was an ecumenical a setting, an ecumenical weekend. And th these people, they didn't really know me. They didn't know my story. They didn't know anything about me. And um, he comes in there because they pray you in. And he was praying and he was like, I just keep hearing this obedience. You're so obedient. There's a He was declaring a boldness and an obedience over me. And what he didn't know was, I believe in that moment, the declaration that came forth from his mouth broke off shame and disobedience that I had been walking in since I was 16 years old and got pregnant as a teenager. Um and, and I really believe that that was one of those pivotal moments in my life that the trajectory of my life just changed because I came to believe the possibility of something different about myself. And um, it, it just, there were things that were stirring in me that God was bringing back to my memory, um, like dreams and, and hopes and, and just um, like missions, if you will, missions of, of the Lord that he had placed in me that, um, that were rekindled in that. And so that was in 2012. And, you know, since then, um, I think that there's just been a hunger, um, 
I, I was placed in a position of um, having a lot of friends who weren't Catholic, especially friends in the spirit, because there wasn't a lot of movement of the Holy Spirit that was um, obvious uh, in 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 my city like I didn't know any of that I didn't see I didn't see any of that um and and I remember um just really wanting more wanting more of the spirit of God where had this dimension of the faith been um throughout my you know years of formation the beautiful amazing formation that I had in the Catholic um in the Catholic school system in the church like I don't know where I would be had that not happened but man, what's all this that I'm experiencing? Yeah. What, what, what's all this? Um, you know, so it's just, uh, there was such a hunger and I'm so thankful for those experiences outside the Catholic church, uh, that really, um, helped me to begin to taste the more, because the more I tasted, the more hungry I got. And the Lord had positioned me with people who weren't Catholic, and because they knew my heart and they could see the way the Spirit of God was moving in my life, um, they began to ask me questions um, about the Catholic Church. And so the Lord, you know, had told me that He would use me to be a bridge, and um, but that I needed to really know the what's behind the the why's behind the what's like so I just went on this reckless pursuit of every facet of God like I wanted to know all the things and I fell in love with our faith I fell in love with the with the history with the tradition I I wanted to know all the answers to all the things and I wanted to to know it through the lens of the Holy Spirit um, and learning who he was I didn't even know that I didn't have a relationship with God. I didn't know that I didn't have a relationship with the three distinct persons of of God and that I could have three distinct relationships with the one God. So, um, you know, it, it's just been a really beautiful journey. Uh, and he, there's just, it's limitless. There's just more. There's just always more. And so it's just kind of how I got to be where I am today. Um that it's not just any other relationship, it's the relationship, and it's the animator of every other relationship in my life, so. Yeah, just to say a couple of things that came to mind, and I'll let Father Christopher or Joe hop in here, then we'll get into our topic on fear of man. One thing is about ecumenism. Some people might be very open, might ha- might have a lot of friendships with other Christians, for those of you who are maybe not as familiar with that, uh, we do believe that there's definitely differences between our Protestant brothers and sisters and ourselves, that there are differences that, that do matter, but there is also so much that unites us, and we believe that our Protestant brothers and sisters have have baptism, they have a, a real access to the life of God, to the to life of the Holy Spirit, and some of them have really pursued God in general, but pursued a specific relationship with the Holy Spirit in a very intentional way. And there's just a lot of amazing things that we have all learned from our Protestant brothers and sisters and other, whether it be pastors or not, but a, a lot of beautiful things happening. And even when it comes to relationship with the Holy Spirit, I once had someone, I don't know if it was a question or a statement, but basically saying, you know, Charismatics don't have a exclusive 
connection or access to the Holy Spirit. One, we do want to shift out of this whole label mindset, like traditionalist or charismatic, because one, they're not mutually exclusive. Two, it's just, just not helpful. We would just say it's the charismatic dimension of our faith. But it is important to intentionally seek a relationship with the Holy Spirit as a, as a person. Pope John Paul II, St. Pope John Paul II said that the, the person of the Trinity, Trinity that we should have the closest relationship with is the Holy Spirit, which is very profound. So those are just a couple of thoughts I had. I don't know if anyone else has thoughts. I just wanted to kind of to just step out here and... Uh... If I could ask Laura to just uh, share a little more of her testimony as regards um, just what happened after that experience of baptism in the Spirit, because one thing that we've done so far with our own stories is we've talked about our experience, our big Holy Spirit moment. We've talked about um, some of the ways that we just experienced the Lord in prayer, but we haven't really had the chance to get into um, just some of the ways that the Holy Spirit had launches people into ministry and into um, ways of using the charisms and just kind of growing in a knowledge and awareness of the charisms. And of course, that's a big topic that we're going to have to cover in the future as far as explaining all the ins and outs of that. But I'm, I'm just really curious if you could share a little bit of just how that changed your whole, first of all, it probably really launched you into ministry overall. Um, and I, I don't know if you how much ministry you were doing before then, but um, just how that impacted and, and changed that, you know, the Lord says, by, uh, by their fruits, you will know them. So just kind of sharing some of that fruit that came about. Yeah. Okay, Joe. Um, yeah, honestly, I feel like that, um, after that experience, it was like every cell in my body came alive. <laughs> um, and I really began to enter into the mass differently. Um, it was like, instead of doing it, I felt like that everything in my life was about being <laughs> like just becoming one with everything, um, that had to do with, with my faith. And, um, my relationship started to change. I, I really honestly, um, began to get convicted of my own sinfulness and, it was like there had been just this light in my life. It was an illumination of, um, I, I want to say my conscience, but it wasn't just my conscience. It was my intellect. It was my emotion. It was every part of my being I felt like came alive and was just seeking more um, uh, unity with the Lord, with God, like to just come into this alignment. And it was just this... Um, I wanted to be whole. I remember every time I would approach Jesus in the Eucharist, I prayed to be made new. I prayed to be made whole. I, I began to pray differently. Um, I was very interested because, like I said, in my work in a psychiatric practice, um, you know, I saw a lot of things. And um, I really think now, looking back, um, that... It was in God's divine plan all along because um, what I began to to learn was an actual framework for things I had already been experiencing. And instead of attributing them to myself 
or attributing them to like intuition or so. Like I realized that this is the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God working. And so, you know, it very much was this old man, new man kind of thing. Um, and, and I think the fruit of it was, I wasn't really in ministry before that. Um, I was totally, and for the first, honestly, for the first probably couple of years of that, it was just this keen awareness that um, I have been, I, I pursued uh, a healing profession because I had a need to be needed. Okay. It was my own brokenness. And the, the grace of God is that he brings all things around for good. So as I pressed into him and pursued my own healing, it was like, I just, I didn't know that I needed this, but I needed to be healed first so that I could, then it could be rightly ordered. And then I could share that with other people. And that's really what began to, to really manifest. Um, and I would often say, I have no idea what I shared with people prior to my relationship with God coming alive. Like, I don't even know. And Lord, I'm so sorry for those that I led astray or that I didn't um, invite into wholeness with you. But just the entire way that I lived my life changed. Um, and, but, but it first really began with me. And I can remember just really being this pursuit of all the things. It was like, ah, some more of the Lord, some more of the Lord. And, but the Lord, I was listening to him and he was like teaching me how to hear his voice, um, first for myself and then for others. And I remember him pulling me back into spending time at home, spending time tending to the relationships with my kids. Um, so to caveat like I could totally spend just so much time with testimony but no, to, no. The, to, to the point even of the Lord told me I was still married and we won't go down this rabbit hole but I had been civilly divorced for 12 years and so through these mending of relationships um with my kids and just like I had a reunification with my husband after being apart for 12 years because we were civilly divorced but never annulled yeah so there's just so much fruit um, really in my interaction with people, um, the, the, the way that I uh, prayed, praying like I was a child of God, my identity, um, and specifically even in the psychiatric practice as I pursued inner healing, um, that just, again, just became a part of who I am. And I can't know about this and not share it with you. And fortunately I was in, um, in a, private practice so it wasn't um in a public sphere so sphere so I was able to share openly about Jesus with with people and just every aspect of my life changed um and I really there the old self and the new self there are people before and it really does tie into fear of man because um there are people in my life that I grew up with that are like cannot believe that this is me today um, with the way the Lord is in my life. And, you know, it's not that I was a bad person, but the Lord was nowhere near the center of my life, nowhere near um, even in my realm of thought. I just didn't think about it. I never considered myself not Christian, but it wasn't, he wasn't even in my top 10 probably by the actions of my life. And 
very much so, uh, old man, new man, and, and really having to, I remember, I'll share this because this really does tie into fear of man. I remember whenever COVID hit and I was already working um, in a parish, okay? So I, I work part-time at a, at a parish in Owensboro, which again, people are like, you, you have keys to a church. It's like people, we laugh about that. I'm like, I know, right? But God, because it really is a great testimony to God. <laughs> um, but I remember um, whenever COVID hit and the world kind of shut down and with this isolation and social media, and I was going to be doing an online book study, uh, what I thought was set up in my parish little Facebook group, right? Um, and because I don't know a whole lot about technology, uh, the first morning we were going to be going live and pressing in, um, it was live not just in my parish Facebook group, it was live to everybody who knew me and I have a totally public page and I remember (laughs) yeah I remember though people like starting to come up on the feed and it was like oh I remember like the conviction that came over me like these are not people from the safety of your parish family who know you now these are people who you've done life with for the past 40 something years and I remember that piercing and the work that the, cause, and I just remember, well, you already here now, you might as well just jump, you know, and, and having that conscious thought that, what are you going to do, Laura? What are you going to do? Um, and, and the beautiful work though, that the Lord continued to do in, in my heart with the next day or two after that, it was like, are you ashamed of me? Are you ashamed of me? Um, or do you want to live a duplicitous life? I mean, these were conversations that the Lord and I were having. And so, um, fear of man became very real in that moment. And when I was faced with it, what was I going to do about it? Jump, jump. He caught me. There you go. Yeah. And wow. I just, in terms of seeing the fruits of God in your life, I've just been very impressed by even your generosity so Laura's from Owensboro, and she's come to Illinois to help us out with different things, whether it's prayer ministry with students or healing services. And there was one time for, for, we were praying with students on a Friday, high school students, and she was going to come Thursday night because we were praying with the students Friday morning, and she wasn't able to, but she was still committed to coming. And so she got up at like 4 a.m., maybe earlier, Friday morning, drove, prayed nonstop with high school students the entire school day, and then basically had to have a, a quick goodbye and just went home with a smile. Just wasn't like, oh, I'm so tired. And just many other things, too, how she used to um, be involved with this discipleship training school, of uh, training and evangelization called Encounter Ministries. And you would drive, is it two and a half or three hours one way to Cincinnati? Three hours and twenty minutes. Three hours and twenty minutes one way. One way. So you were for two years. You drive three hours and twenty minutes there on Monday evening, and come back three hours and twenty minutes for during the school year on Mondays for for two years straight. And I'm not going to get into all the details, but then you're also driving to Kentucky as well eventually on on Tuesdays. So it's just very apparent to me how God is working powerfully in your life. Before we make the more official switch to Fear of Man, I know we've already been talking about it some. Father Christopher, do you have anything you wanted to say? Something that, that struck me about your testimony, Laura, 
was it really just highlights a, a really a, something powerful about the prophetic, like praying for people in prophecy. And I know we haven't really had a chance to discuss that in depth on the show yet, but when you were talking about the, the person praying over your life and uh, speaking the truth that you had this obedience, and it was something that at, the, at that moment, especially in how you felt about yourself, that you really didn't have that. And that's something that the prophetic does, that God does through prophecy, through other members of the body of Christ especially, is that he sees something that is true about you, and it might only be true in like a seed form or in, in, like a, in a potential form, but it's just like our Lord, whenever you know Peter first encountered the Lord, Simon first encountered the Lord, and Jesus said, you will be called Cephas. Which is he was basically saying like you're going to be called, which means rock uh, in in Aramaic. He's like you're you're going to be rock, and then later on, of course, he'll say, "You are rock. You are Peter, Petros, and on this rock I'll build my church." That name probably meant nothing to Peter at the time, and he was not a foundation stone. He was not the solid, stable person that needed to be the, that the church could have been founded on in that moment. But Jesus saw the truth about him, and he spoke it over him, and that's what people can do for us they will see things that are true about us and it might be something that we can't even see even like a grain of it but they'll speak it over us and that will bring it to the surface and we will uh it will it's exciting and it, it unlocks a new possibility we, we come to believe that can be true about me through god's grace it is true and i have access to i i've been recreated in baptism i've been reborn I've been redeemed, and so this is true about me, And but how can I walk in it? And then it became something that you desired and that you walked into it so that now you are, thanks be to God, really walking in in obedience, and the Lord is able to use you in powerful ways because you've, you've grown into that obedience that was declared over you in a prophetic way years ago. Um, yeah, and just, you know, oh, yeah, go ahead, Joe. Um, whether it's like, you know, you, know, you Laura, just going out there for the entire day, getting up early and then just leaving, going back home or, you know, Father Father Michael and, and, and Mejigoria just like hearing confessions for seven straight hours or Peter getting crucified upside down or anything like that. It's like, it's really important like that we all share our before stories when we're not constant, when we're not, you know, when we're just relying on ourselves because it, it brings home even more. This is what happens when you meet the Holy Spirit. You know, this this is what happens when you meet the Holy Spirit. And this is the normal Christian life, basically, right? It's like, you want to do this. You're on fire to do this. No one's forcing you at gunpoint to do this. I mean, it's, it, you're passionate about it. But anyway, um, yeah. Well, and the, the energy's not mine. It, it It's not mine. Right. I, I feel like it's like this force. Um, that's, that's from a deep, deep place, whether it is, um, a physical energy or whether it is, um, in the spiritual realm, uh, something that's propelling, it's like that unction, um, what, and, and courage and I'll be, you know, I just think that that is Holy Spirit. So yes, Joe, I, I we are supposed to be different after that. Amen. Yeah. So it's very clear that God is working very powerfully in you. So just to make the more of the official transition to the topic, uh, let's talk about fear of man. I think maybe we can lay out why this isn't why this is an issue, how it's present, maybe in our lives or present in the church, and why it's something that we really need to 
focus on. And I think we would all agree that this is not just one thing among others. This is not one vice among others, but I think it's very, very powerful. It's like the, I don't know if the, the, the bottleneck would be the right image or expression for this because we have, I know that I, I've seen many believers in general. I've seen many Catholics who are so well catechized. They might be very familiar with the Bible. They maybe have done the Bible in a year, done other optional Bible studies. There's so many Catholic resources available that are good. You know, Bishop Aaron, Father Mike Schmitz, many other resources as well. And there's this, it seems to be there's just this endless learning, endless learning, endless learning. It doesn't really seem like there ever gets to the point where this stuff is really being shared. And really, it doesn't take a lot of evangelization to bring a profound transformation to a parish or, you know, an area. Like if, if I'm doing a variation of a focus sort of thought experiment, but if every person in a particular church, I'll say even in two or three, I'll say three years, I'll be very generous. Just in three years, if every person brought one person into the church and in three years, the church would be double the size. You do that the next three years, it'd be four times the size of, and I'm just referring to people in the pews, four times. That's insane. So we have a problem in our church of not really having a culture of evangelization. And it really does come down to this fear of man, which can look like a fear of making people uncomfortable, fear of making uh, people feel awkward, fear of rejection, fear of what other people think being ashamed of our faith. The last thing I'll say is Father uh, Jim Mason was the rector at Kenner Glennon Seminary, awesome priest. And one of the images that was shared with us at seminary was this image of this car with this like amazing motor, but not having the other components of the car to actually translate that power into motion in the wheels. And they were warning us against this temptation of learning all this stuff, this big motor, but not being able to translate it to actual action. I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts of why we consider this to be a really big thing for us to root out from ourselves and from the, and from the church, and, and why is it toxic? Well, I think, just speaking from my, my own experience, because I was somebody who love to just consume and learn and learn. And I still fall into that temptation of wanting to to keep learning more and more. I think in some ways, maybe I don't know the experience of a lot of other Christians, maybe even specifically Christians in the, in the United States, but I think it's in some ways connected to our consumer culture, just like an individualistic atomistic consumer culture where the faith, even if it's, kind of my favorite thing or my favorite hobby it is like a hobby it is it's about myself working on myself self fulfillment self-development even self-healing uh, just even seeking that wholeness it's not we don't really see it as a wholeness unto evangelization or a healing unto bringing that healing to others uh, being converted unto bring other people to that conversion, bring other people to encounter Jesus. So I think maybe that's just a 
we apply the same consumer logic or the consumer mindset to our faith that we apply to other areas. Um, just where we, we might not be, you know, we have our, uh, the shows we like to watch, the music we like to listen to. And, it, and it's something that it does bring us, you know, consolation and it brings us a, a sense of peace. Uh, maybe it helps us to make sense of the world, uh, but we kind of stop there and we're not, it doesn't lead us into concern for others or we're not, we're not bringing to others. So I, I think in some ways it's not that surprising with how we become a little bit more cut off from pe- from people and we're, we're not as, despite being so connected in so many uh, superficial ways, we're, we don't have the same sense of community and the same sense of duty or obligation to all our brothers and sisters that maybe we had in the past. That's just one thought. Yeah, we're not being challenged in that um, in that sort of scenario. You know, we're just kind of, again, we're just staying there because we're comfortable. And a lot of this, you know, this whole thing with, fear of man has to do with remaining in our comfort zone. Um, it's interesting. Fear of man is kind of a term that has really, um, I think it's really originated. I mean, it's biblical. Um, it's used a few times in scripture for sure. Something that's very commonly used in Protestant circles. Um, there, The Catholic tradition, though, um, has used, has talked a lot about this, um, and if you read older uh, literature, it'll use the term human respect um, to describe it. And I think that's just important to note. This isn't just some Protestant idea. It's biblical. It's traditional. The saints of—I mean, read Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis. You'll see it everywhere, human respect. Um, and, I mean, this is a huge topic for me because this is my—this is, like, probably one of my biggest— um, kind of, or has been one of my biggest struggles throughout my life, um, is, uh, dealing with fear of man. And there's so many things to say about it, but I just, I mean, I was thinking about it just today and it's like, it's funny how fear of man and I guess money and fiscal responsibility and those two things, those are two, um, kind of commandments of worldly prudence and worldly wisdom, which are considered to be virtues uh, by people even within the church. And I think there's a self-righteousness that comes with, you know, that preservation of your image and, you know, the sense of being responsible that makes it just an excellent block toward true humility, true authenticity, true openness to the to the action of the Holy Spirit. Um, and uh, I mean, I mean, I might as well say this while we're at it too. Like, I was actually doing a deep dive into um, kind of the history of... Um, Oh, uh, I guess revival, um, both in the in the Catholic, but also even primarily, I think, in the Protestant Church, is just seeing kind of how this operated um, in the past hundred years or so, especially. Um, and one thing that really stuck out to me as being fascinating was that even the, there's a lot of sins that, of course, people in the revival are beset with, things like vanity, impurity, um, I don't know gluttony, maybe even, yeah, like sort of intellectual pride, those don't always seem to be the biggest stops to to um, revival from what I've seen. Um, a, an excellent example of, you know, for instance, with 
impurity. There's just periodic the struggles throughout the life of Lonnie Frisbee, who um, with purity, um, and he had a very difficult background, and um, it was just a weakness to him without his life. But um, he, this guy was he helped launch the um, in the in the 70s. It was the Jesus movement, um, and then later in the 80s it was the Vineyard uh, movement revival. Um, and, uh, this man was just absolutely anointed. And I mean, he never, he never excused himself when it came to his sin, even as he was dying of AIDS at the end of his life, he was like, yeah, I'm a sinner. I don't identify with the gay culture or anything like that. I'm just, um, uh, I, I'm a sinner, but he, he was one person who struggled with a lot of personal weaknesses, but fear of man and reliance on money were not things that he personally ever fell to. It's clear. In fact, he would never accept collections before doing this ma these impartations of the Spirit. He would never collect money. He would say, I'm not going to prostitute the Spirit of God. So, like, he, he did not rely on... And, um, and, you know, a controversial figure, of course. Um, he's in this, this movie that came out recently. What was it called? Do you guys remember? Jesus Revolution? Yeah, yeah. So he was played by Jonathan Rumi in that movie. But it's and, and and there's some things that are pretty accurate about him, I'd say, in there, the way it portrays him. Um, all that's to say it's not to excuse and say that like, oh, it's like it's okay, like you could be filled with the Holy Spirit and still live a sinful life. But it, there's something in particular about these things like fear of man that are very much rooted in this sort of worldly wisdom. And something about this, I think particularly in the American culture and the way that we think um, just in the West and that we're kind of entrenched in these patterns of thinking where, you know, fear of man and, and, and cultivating your image is really considered to be a, a virtue and a sign that you're a sensible and good person, you know. So I've, I've, I've gone on for a while there, but like that's really kind of my introduction to that whole topic, so... And just to really highlight something you said, you're talking about this guy, Lonnie Frisbee, who was used really powerful by the Holy Spirit for, for miracles, for bringing people to Christ, preaching all of this. And you're bringing up his imperfections of impurity. Not to say it's not a big deal, but your point is that here's someone who struggled with a sin, but because he didn't right. have fear of man, could be used really powerfully by God. And so we're not giving anyone permission to impurity or any other sin, but we're saying, what is something in particular particular that quenches the spirit? Stifles the anointing. Yeah. 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 Just going off of that, whenever I think of the fear of man, I always think of it as we should, like in opposition to or in contrast to fear of the Lord. And when you yes. think of fear in this regard, I mean, a lot of times people are, are just very quick to say, well, no, it's not like, you know, being afraid and, and it's important. We'll explain that more. But I, I think of it in terms of who or what do I hold in highest regard? Like who has the highest place uh, on whose opinion do I place the most value? And so there's only there's only one spot for the highest of something you know there's only like when it comes to how do i rate or who do i give priority to in my life what god thinks about me or what god thinks about my life or what i'm doing or what 
you know, my family thinks or what my friends think or what my boss thinks, what society thinks. There's only one person's opinion can be on in the top place that can hold the highest place. And there's times when we're able to give God's opinion the highest place in certain areas of our life, and then we, we fail to do so in others. So I'm not saying it's it's um, like a one-time thing or like it, it just it's totally black and white. But if you think about it in terms of uh, fear of man as basically regarding the opinions of human beings above what God thinks, I think that's a helpful way to think about it. And if we, it just, it's a sign of that we don't fear, we don't have enough concern for what God thinks. And we think that um, we have to, we have to make something of ourselves. We have to achieve something for ourselves that, that God isn't going to achieve for us, that God is not going to, to, to do for us. Like we're trying to make something of ourselves, whether it's our reputation or our influence. We think we have to do that apart from God or maybe find a way around God's plan for us to, to make something happen. And so not relying on him. Just as you can't have God and mammon, can't worship God and mammon. I really believe you cannot live in fear of God and fear of man. That's, that's it. That's like, it just, it pushes out fear of, of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, whenever, um, I was thinking about fear of man, I wrote down two things. It's either pride or priority, you know, um, because anytime, even when we think about fear of man and, and I think about even praying with people and, um, people do really struggle with anxiety and it comes from a real place whenever, um, it's not to dismiss that at all, that, that people really do get hung up on, I, you know, there's a wound there underneath that anxiety or underneath that, um, you know, fear of what other people are going to think that's rooted in abandonment, that's rooted in rejection, that's rooted in a lack of acceptance. Um, and those are all very real things that, that truly do come from people's experiences. Um, so it's not to say that it's not real, uh, but every bit of that anxiety, the, the root, that's pride. I'm worried more about myself and how I'm going to feel that I'm, then I'm, my concern is there rather than God, um, which is pride or priority, him not being on the throne. Like who, who is the most important The just like you said, father Chris, there's Chris, there's only room for, there's only most important only, there's only one spot there. Um, you know, and I, I was really thinking about, um, you know, when it comes to like this fear of man, it's, um, who holds our safety? Who holds our safety? Are we re- self-reliant? Are we relying on our own self? Are we relying on others? Do I feel like that you are the one who keeps me safe? Where's my trust? You know, which to me goes back to, do I know God? Do I know him? Not just know about him. Do I know him? Do I know that he holds me? Do I know that Jesus died for me? Do I know that um, his spirit is in me? That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is within me? Like, do I, do I truly ascribe to that? Um, has that began to reform my thought life? To where it really, even for me, and, and, 
as I'd shared in my testimony, you know, just sharing those parts with obedience, when God tells us to do something, if there's a delay, that's disobedience. Even a delay is disobedience. Late obedience and is disobedience. That's what my mom would always say. Yeah, you know, and so it's like, but in order to feel secure and safe to move forward with the things that God's placed on us, because, you know, when I was thinking about this, I went to that, the, it's Proverbs 29, 25, when it says, um, fear of man becomes a snare, but the ones who trust in the Lord are safe. So, and I think about a snare. Well, what's a snare? That's an entrapment. And that's some kind of thing from the enemy that's going to keep us from walking in the purposes that God has for us. And so knowing that we all were created for a very unique and specific purpose, this fear of man is a tactic of the enemy that will ensnare us into delay or just an outright no for the purposes that God has for our life, you know? And so what are we, who, who are we going to listen to? Yeah. Or I like the way you talked about like, where, where is my security? And sometimes, you know, when we, you can focus on the, the aspect in which falling into fear of man is uh, kind of sinful in the sense of like, yeah, we're not giving due regard for God, due reverence to God, his will for our lives. Um, but just that you highlighted the point of like God, if God is my security, it's not just that don't think of it primarily as like just a moral obligation. Well, well, I'm told, you know, God's supposed to be the most important. So I screwed up and I, I let my other people's opinions distract me from God's will or make me disobey or make me delay in following God's will. Like God's will, you, oh, when you think here, God's will you should, it's synonymous with my life, my fulfillment, my well-being. So it's like, I want to be secure in God, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because it's, it's when I'm plugged into God, whenever I'm relying on God, whenever I'm treating his opinion as most important, I, I walk in the path of life. And Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's not just some fussy moral rule or something like, well, you know, God created it and he set up the rules and this is one of the rules that you have to, you know, put God first. It's like, this is actually the path to deep security, meaning, fulfillment, and life. And that's why we fear God in the sense of, I care about what God thinks because he made me, he knows what's best for me. He loves me. Yeah. And I would say that it's, the importance is that it's relational and when you're secure in that relationship, knowing that you are safe in the palm of his hand, then the moral takes care of itself because we don't want to be out of his will. We don't want to, to be anywhere other than right here in this place that is home. Yeah, absolutely. These are conditions of the heart to pay attention to, like where do we find security? Maybe just to make it concrete for us of what this looks like, to give more examples of this. I was really inspired by Michael Koulianis, this is pastor of, he's a non-denominational pastor of a church called Jesus Image. And he, there's this, he shares stories from an interview about how his church was founded and how they operate. And as a Catholic, there's many things I admire the church 
you know, I'm I'm not a non-denominational Christian, so I'm not going to say I believe absolutely everything this church teaches, but I think there's just so much amazing things happening there. But anyways, I was really inspired by this interview because there's a point in the interview where he says that at his church, they will often do praise and worship for an hour. And sometimes these church services are, are very often, they're three hours long. And then these people saying, well, there's these studies show that people, they prefer just to, you know, sing for, you know, 15 minutes. And they asked him, you know, do you always, you know, sing this long? And, you know, do you always preach until you feel like the Holy Spirit tells you to stop because you preach a long time? And he says, yeah, like we praise a lot. I preach until I feel like the Holy Spirit tells me to stop. What happens if people leave? And Michael Kuliana says, I don't know. I guess they, they go home. They go out to eat. I'm not really sure. He says, I wasn't really, the, the, the church service isn't for the people. It's for, for God. And he says, you look at the lyrics of all the songs we sing. He says, we're not, none of the names of the, the church members are in the songs. We're not singing to the people. We're singing to God. And that just in, in, inspires me because a lot of what we do in church life is like what will please people which we don't want to be rude and we we want to, we're a family, we want to be in conversation with one another, but so often it's not about, you know, how long does God want our mass to be? What kind of things does God wants to do when we pray? And oftentimes we're not, oftentimes we're not as open to what God wants because we're afraid of uh, offending other people. Even just to give a, uh, some other concrete examples real briefly, just like sharing the gospel and recently I have been better about stepping out and sharing things with people. And there have been some stories. I've been actually pretty bold, but I do want to say that most of my life, uh, even being a priest, I've not been near as bold as I should be. I've not shared the faith with as many people because there's this fear of like making people feel, uh, fear of making people feel uncomfortable, fear of, of not having what it takes, but it's, it's rooted in fear, especially fear of, of man. The last little thing I'll, I'll say, and I'll let you, uh, the rest of you hop in here. Just another example is in a prayer meeting in seminary. And it was with a, mostly people were even my friends. So it wasn't like these were strangers and we were praying some, some praise and worship and some guys like opened their hands up just in a posture receptivity. And I immediately felt like pretty uncomfortable <laughs> and just, just funny. And then even like myself, when I first like opened my hands, it was this huge, huge gesture. Like as if I was putting a spotlight and standing in front of everybody in St. Louis, but just in the back of the chapel, just open my hands up a little bit. Am I saying people always have to open their hands when they pray and sing? No, not at all. There's times where I'm very comfortable with opening my hands, but I don't always feel called to do that. That's not my point. The point is there's just so much hesitation to have this expression of worship because it's just this fear of what other people think. And yeah, I just think there's many circumstances where people can be sold out for God. They can be bought in, but they're either not expressing their faith or sharing their faith because of this fear. So this is just some ways that concrete, these are concrete examples of what fear of man looks like. I like that you mentioned when, when it comes to like how we worship and how we worship in the mass, like what does God want and how does God want to be worshiped? And a good point that you hinted at there is fear of God and reverence for God and a desire to put God first 
is not in any way incompatible with respect for man. So the alternative to fear of man is not dismissing people or disregarding people or just ignoring uh, where people are at. And you don't just kind of want to run them over, bulldoze them because like, oh, no, this is what God wants or this is what I feel like God is calling us to do. So to heck with everybody else. It's not disregard. It's just you know, discerning together, especially in a community of, of friends, community of Christians, like, what is God calling us to do? What, are we really seeking that above all? And how will we implement it? And do, to do that in a way that's, you know, is pedagogical, like we need to form people and, to, you know, we have to, we have to shift people, all of us, myself included, like we, we need to shift toward in the church, like a culture of really putting what God thinks first in, in practical, concrete ways, such as like in our worship, in our praise and things like that. And as we do that, it, it's, it will benefit the people. That's a fruit of it. But it, it's because our worship puts God first that people will be drawn to it. You can have a, a short term or a, a superficial way of drawing people to something or you know, appeasing them, uh, maybe trying to make something entertaining. And that's like giving them, putting fear of man first. And that maybe will keep some people there for a while. It, it, you can run on those fumes. But fundamentally, people seek religion. People seek worship because they want to worship God. And, he, and that they might not even realize, like, that's a deeper desire of their heart. But that is, like, fundamentally why people have faith, why they want a relationship with God. They want to lift him up, to glorify him with their life. They want to have something to offer him in thanksgiving for everything they've received. And so when we worship in a way that puts him first, uh, people will, it might not happen immediately, but the deeper response of people being uh, led to that true worship and, and led to a deeper relationship with God, like that will come. That will come as the fruit. Yeah, I, I do want to say too, just a sec, um, because I'd written down, uh, Father Chris, right before you started to share that part about one thing that fear of man is not, is not an attitude that I don't care what other people think. Um, Because I think that we could easily kind of group that together. And while I think that has to do with the disposition of our hearts, it's not an attitude of I don't care what other people think that focuses on me. It's an attitude that um, what other people think is their business and my business is what does God think. Amen. Um, and so we have to be very careful that we don't like pigeonhole that um, and thinking that this attitude of, of this hardness um, is saying that I don't have fear of man because um, very much it has to be positioned toward God. I uh, I saw a uh, video one time of a just a little short thing of uh, this priest named Father Leon Pereira I think his name is he was given a he was just saying this in a in a little homily it's like you know what the greatest temptation of priests is it's the temptation to seek to be loved and so it's like and I've noticed this in my own experience with ministry you know as a teacher and such it's like if i slip into just wanting to be liked and approved of by students or by people i'm working with or whatever 
spirit of God is not going to be moving. There, there, it just it won't happen. And it's taken me a while to kind of figure this out, but it's really actually pretty simple. I think you know, there's there's a lot of different angles you can take on this clearly, but there's that lack of freedom. You know, the, the extreme. There's that extreme kind of form of it called uh, codependency or whatever, where it's just like you are you are dependent on this other person, whether you're the caretaker or whatever. It's like emotionally you need to do this. And um, with with fear of man, you're kind of just, you are sort of enslaved because your heart, as Laura was saying, is not resting, is not in the safety of the Lord's love. And so you're outside of that and you need your affirmation, you need your approval from whoever you're serving or whoever you're with. And um, that's a dangerous place to be. Safety is with is with the Lord. I, I could not stress that enough. It's like, we have nothing to fear when we're following the Lord's will, but we do have, we should be concerned if we've made that choice that, oh, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna kind of try to please people and then hopefully things will end up turning out the way God wants them to. It's like, I think we do that a lot in the church. And man, I, I know that I've done that, but it's, it's a recipe for disaster. And the sooner we get off that path, the better. And we always have to examine ourselves. But if something's, if as a whole, I'm not saying every single day, but as a whole, if we're involved with other people and we're not experiencing rejection because of our faith, it seems like something's wrong because Jesus promises this will happen. He says, you know, if the world hates you, know that it hated me first. And there's many other places, the Beatitudes, Jesus says, bless you when men revile you and persecute you falsely because of me. And not only is that a prediction of what will happen, but he says, you know, you're blessed if that happens. So as a whole, if if we're not ruffling any feathers, it seems like something's off. Now, that being said, we can ruffle feathers because we're being prideful or selfish or problems in ourselves. So we do have to be careful. We're not saying, oh, people don't like me because I'm just a real disciple. But we should really expect rejection and people to not like us. That's why every kind of every discipleship has to be lived in community, but especially anyone who would embark on like a a bolder undertaking of trying to share the gospel, trying to evangelize why accountability is so, so crucial. I can't just presume that like, you know, I may have some kind of inspiration from God. God may be inviting me to step out, to take risks, to, you know, do things that will ruffle feathers. If I don't have anybody to whom I'm accountable and, you know, that means like, human authorities and, and human friendships, people that are actually willing to, to give me real feedback. I can just be kind of a rogue agent. And like, I might think that I'm somehow a, totally pure and like doing God's will. And, and I'm just disregarding the opinions of man. And I could just be running roughshod over everybody and just to turning people off to the gospel. And like, you know, that's why you, you have to think about the fruits. And again, always, with all things like living in discernment and accountability with other Christians. You know, and with that 
with that accountability of other Christians too um, is also the intercession of other Christians and knowing that um, we have people that share the same spirit, the same heart, um, that they can pray with us, intercede for us. Um, and, and with that love that our, um, that, that they, that they care about the mission that God has given us and they're willing to battle in the spirit. Um, while at the same time, I mean, that's the true love while they can help us stay in right alignment and also battle on our behalf to just the beauty of that community. Um, if I could say here to, uh, cause I can't remember who alluded to it, maybe everybody, um, about approval and, um, because that's a very real thing cause we're humans and we live in this human world and there's a part of us that, um, is actually, I believe geared towards, um, needing to be affirmed, needing that affirmation, needing someone to, um, acknowledge us, acknowledge our thoughts, acknowledge that we're on the right path. Um, you know, we, we need to hear that from another person. We can hear it from God, but we really do. God made us in such a way that we do need to hear that from another person. And we have to be very careful too, though, because I think there has to be this foundation there that we have to know in our knower and deep, deep, deep in the very core of who we are that um, he loves us and he approves of us. That that has to be our first approval to know that he approves and that that we have this, um, we don't have to earn that approval. That um, it doesn't matter how good we are, how good we're not, what we do, don't do, that we have his approval because we are. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that that will move us in this walk with him to not only want to live our life in alignment with him, but it also gives us a courage, that core, that heart, his heart, um, to move how the spirit beckons us to move. Um, because we are, we are geared, we're made to need approval. It's just what approval are we putting most important? Amen. Yeah, we, we all need to be approved and to, like, like Jesus himself was at his baptism, you know, the father speaking his blessing over him. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased but to, like you said, Laura, to be affirmed in our true identity and for who we are, for who we were created uh, as beloved sons and daughters of God, who we, we were as we were created and not for anything that we've done out of performance. If you think about uh, a story like uh, the prodigal son you know, and his brother, both of them didn't believe that they had the approval, the blessing of the father, like the, their father's uh, approval. And they, t- they reacted to that in very different ways. The prodigal son gave up on the possibility of earning it and just said, like, I'm never going to get it. And I'm just, I'm done. I'm going to go do my own thing. And the older brother tried to earn it and he slaved away. And so both of them were really living what we call like a spiritual orphanhood. And, and so they actually, they both believe the same lie, which is that the father's love has to be earned. One thought, I'll never do it. The other one tried to do it. And you saw the frustration and the, the, 
the misery that both came to because of it. Um, but that is the lesson is that the, the father's blessing comes first and our life is a living out of that identity. Like I am a love by the father for who I am, not for what I do. And then I walk in that identity. It's a, it's a, it's a free gift of his love. Like St. John says in his first letter, we love because God first loved us. I'm not loving or living a certain way so I can get to the point where God will approve of me. I, the fact that he created me means he loves me and he approves of me. Now I'm just going to walk in the good deeds that he has set before me. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. So the father's affirmation of Jesus, and today's the baptism of the Lord. So uh, when we're recording this this episode, so that really just popped into my head. And like also just, you know, our friend uh, Mike Nolan, um, he he talks about this, this insight that he kind of had of when Jesus, I don't remember which chapter of John it is, but he's being attacked by the Jews in Jerusalem. Just his very identity is just being attacked and maligned in just the worst way. And it's interesting because Mike notices how after that that passage, it says that he went to where John had baptized. He went down to the the Jordan where John had baptized and just kind of remained there. And it's just, it's just, Mike has this just powerful, just kind of image of Jesus just being there. And um, just, just remembering that the father's words of approval and affirmation for him at the, at the place where those are spoken to him at his baptism um, in the face of just what men were saying about him, who just were, you know, totally way off base about who he really was. Something I've noticed with, we've probably all noticed maybe in high school or junior high, particularly with boys, when they're with a friend or like friends, they'll be a lot more snarky or sarcastic, bold basically. But if the teacher pulls them aside and talk to them one-on-one, they're like quivering and shaking, you know, and and they're in their skin because when they're separated from the group, they're, they're really insecure. But when they're with their buddies, they feel, more protected and so people (laughs) tend to and in many circumstances in life when they're with friends or other people they're more bold and when they're not they're a lot more insecure but just yeah knowing having a a christian community to walk with is huge but then yes um, being rooted in the father's approval and and love for us i just have an image of from experience of doing this high ropes course and you have the harness and so you can go across the obstacles if you fall that will catch you most people are really really hesitant and nervous as they're going across this high ropes course there's really really scared to fall i the first thing i did was before i did it i just went and hung just in the open air from the hard harness i felt the security of the harness kind of bouncing it and just felt it holding me and so i was doing crazy things and people are like tiptoeing I'm like leaping and jumping because I felt the security of the, of the harness. And there is, there is a, a real connection there. So, uh, feel free to hop in here. Anyone. I think that's one of the solutions to fear of man is just a closer receiving the father's approval, affirmation and delight for us. But I do think, I do think a lot of it comes also just from stretching ourselves stretching ourselves and really just praying for it to be broken. I think it'd be, I think it'd be both of those things. 
I, I really sometimes thinks it's a think it's a conscious decision to do it anyway. It, it's a decision because are we ever completely comfortable? If we're if we're comfortable, we don't need a comforter. You know, you don't need the comforter in your comfort zone. And so um, I would almost say that if there's ever a time where we don't um, battle with some type of apprehension or butterflies or you know some kind of thought that comes in that we might not even it's either it might even be important enough <laughs> um there's not enough risk there's not enough of a um it just might not be the thing uh because there because i believe that um we're not ever going to not have some degree of discomfort it, it's um about being able to work through that very quickly, I think, with our identity and who is God and who am I to him and is this from him? Is this something that God has um, commissioned me to do? And if he is calling me to do this, then it's on his authority and in his power. And so I'm not walking alone and um, I need to be able to rely. We are made to be dependent upon him, to made to, uh, you know, to need to rely on him. We were never intended to go through this world on our own. Um, and so I think it's a matter of awareness too, and just really acknowledging that sometimes we just got to do it scared. <laughs> just do it. I love that point because even in father Michael's image with like the high ropes course and feeling what it was like to be supported, basically it, it was a matter of, knowing that even if I fail, I will be sustained. I will not be destroyed. And so your point of like, you don't, it's not about getting, you don't work up the courage and get to a place in my head, convince myself that no, it's really fine. And convince myself that I won't fall off the course or that I won't fail, that I won't, if I try to follow God more boldly, that I'll never mess up, that I'll never need to be corrected, that I'll never go off course. It's like, yeah, I know that you, it, like, let's get the worst case scenario thinking of like, you know, which is not a, a great uh, general mindset to have in, in things, but it's like, you know, what does happen? Like, what happens if, what if nobody comes? What if nobody likes the talk? What if nobody, what if people aren't moved by my testimony? Well, what if this podcast flops? <laughs> like, what, it doesn't, yeah, like, what if people think I'm weird? Yeah, what if people do think I'm weird? What <laughs> if people, what are they going to do? My mom used to have a, a line, this is several years ago, but she would say, well, what are they going to do? Not look me up on Facebook? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> are they, like not, they're not going to want to be my Facebook friend? You know, it's like we think about, and they're, they're, that's all, that's that sense of rejection and that the pain of that is very real, as Laura was sharing earlier. And the fact that we're not, most of us are not at risk for literal martyrdom doesn't mean that we should just say like oh there's just there's nothing to be afraid of like yeah it it does it's painful and it doesn't feel good um but just as a reminder like yeah our worst case scenario is is a fairly low stakes kind of thing yeah and and I'm paraphrasing I might get it backwards but mother angelica said that unless uh unless god won't do the miraculous unless you're willing to do what's ridiculous there's certainly many examples of that in scripture but I don't know if anyone else has stories that come to mind. I was impressed when we were doing some street ministry in Owensboro, and I was with Laura, and we were there, this out outdoor 
downtown area in Owensboro to pray with people. That's what we were going there for. And we're walking towards the main area where people were, but there was these group of tough looking men. And I just was not even thinking about praying for them. Like, you know, they're not going to be, they're not going to be open and they're kind of rough around the edges. This is not the type of people. And Laura walked up. She's like, Hey guys, like, how, how you doing? She's like, we're just out here like blessing people. She's like, can we pray for you? And they were all like, yeah. And they were like, just <laughs> immediately open. And so they, Laura was talking with them, praying with them. It was just crazy. And fear was just like, oh man, they're going to be so rough. They're not going to be open. And it prevented me from doing what I was supposed to do. Thankfully, Laura did. And then we were, I was with someone else praying for another guy. And this guy was like almost falling over the power of the Holy Spirit. Like he was, the Spirit was kind of pushing him backwards to rest in the Spirit. But he was just like, straining his muscles to hold himself up straight, but he just, the power of God came over him. So that's just a, an example of someone stepping out in boldness. Uh, another, another story recently was our friend, uh, father Tony, and maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, father Christopher, but basically he was praying for this man and he had this thought come into his mind that said, tell him I know about the red truck. Okay. So you listening, if you're praying with someone and you feel like the Lord says, tell this person I know about the red pickup truck. Like, would you tell that person that? Like, honestly. Thankfully, he actually said this. I'm giving the short version of the story. And at first, he, uh, Father Tony said, is it red pickup truck? Does that mean anything to you? The guy was a little bit confused. He said, well, I've, the, the Lord just told me I'm supposed to tell you that he knows about the red pickup truck. Well, this guy was, he was receiving prayers for healing and this accident was actually caused by a red pickup truck. And so, uh, Father Chris, you want to clarify anything for me? Yeah, I think he was actually, he was like a UPS delivery guy and he was, had been, you know, probably lifting a lot of stuff and throughout his back and it, he was injured delivering packages to a man who was ordering parts, who was doing this total like rebuild on this old red pickup truck so he's been going to bring packages to a guy with a red pickup truck when he hurts himself with the injury which is what the injury that they're praying for healing for okay thank you for clarifying clarifying i'm not so much and he was healed right i'm not trying to get lost in the details of this story but the reason i bring this up is that that's kind of a a little bit more of a weird thing to say to someone right I mean, most people are uncomfortable praying with someone, praying with someone, let alone saying something like that. So someone's just trying to, if someone's worried about their self-image, looking respectable, well, I'm, a, I'm a priest, I don't want to say anything weird. This amazing thing wouldn't have happened. And that goes back to the Mother Angelica thing. Unless you're willing to do what's ridiculous, God will not do the miraculous. And so there are times where God might call us to do something more ridiculous. There's a story of, uh, Randy Clark, he's a Protestant minister who prays for healing a lot. And he was at this conference pray, praying, Lord, what conditions do you want to heal? And some of the things, words that came to his mind, which was not, it was not an audible voice, just an image or the thought in his head was uh, artisan, artesia, uh, 17 staples, maritime accident, crowbar. And all these things applied to people in the crowd. There was someone who I think that 
I don't remember the the exact connections, but there was someone that had an injury. They had 17 staples, exactly. Uh, Randy Clark did not even know that Artesia, if I'm saying that right, is a country. There was an artisan from Artesia. So he's saying these absurd things, but he's not living with this fear of, well, are people going to think I'm weird? And this actually applied to people who were uh, all healed. I think there does come a time, too, where we just have to realize that people are going to think we're weird. And, you know, I mean, because Jesus said they will persecute you, they will make fun of you, they will condemn you, and they did it all to me first. And I think um, we can really um, kind of be setting ourselves up for failure whenever, or setting ourselves up for, I don't know, we're disillusioned if we um, actually think we're going to walk through this Christian life and think people aren't going to think we're weird. <laughs> so I think having that mindset that, yeah, okay, you know. And this is the, the the reality of it is, and we already know this from just anti-Catholic, anti-Christian sentiment and how that's growing in our culture. Here's the reality. They already think you're weird. <laughs> so <laughs> if we don't step out with any boldness, uh, the thing is like, it's a lose lose right now. It's like they think you're weird. Yeah. You don't really fit in. You're not doing. You're not going along with what the culture says, and you're not getting to see amazing breakthrough things. You're not getting to step out more boldly in worship. You're not getting to like more fully embrace your identity and to live out your spiritual gifts to do to live the mission that God's calling you to. So it's like you don't get the excitement of the in the adventure of totally you know following God and, and stepping out boldly. And you get the still get that you don't you're actually not approved in the culture. I mean, if we think that we can make, I don't think many most people are under that illusion, especially in the Catholic Church. You know, in our country, and I don't think most people are still under that illusion that we can have the approval of of the culture of, of our society at this point. Can I just can I say um, to that you know, and y'all know me, I'm a little bit. Um, just kind of say it here. Here it is. Um, but, I, but I'm we just going to spend gonna, more time in K- Kentucky. Maybe. Um, I just feel like sometimes too, like, uh, the, like we've established fear of man is real and being concerned, um, about what other people think is a very real thing. And people do, people do struggle with that. Um, but you know, there comes a time too, where we got to get over ourselves. Anxiety is real. Um, it's rooted in pride. You do have physical manifestations. It does shut things down, but we are not doing anyone any uh, favors by continuing to co-sign that um, and not expect people to um, to face those fears. Those fears are real, but are, is that where you want to stay forever? Or what can we do to overcome that? You know, and challenging people. That's the true act of love is to challenge people to, um, you know, to, to overcome that we don't have to overcome that on our own. And, you know, you'd ask for some examples, like what comes to my mind, like totally is the apostles in the upper room waiting, waiting, scared. You want to talk about fear. There's fear. And granted they were, they had fear of dying. Um, and just like father Chris said, most of us aren't really faced with that yet, but who knows? And when it, at the end of the day, uh, what are you going to choose? Are we going to choose our own skin or are we going to choose Jesus, you know, who, who chose us? 
Um, and so the, but the fact of the matter is, uh, back to the Holy Spirit, we're not, we're not ever going to be able to walk this walk. If we can do it without the Holy Spirit, it ain't the walk for us. Um, it's just not the walk that he has for us because we're never intended to do it without the power of God. Um, and so just like in the upper room, we have to constantly be praying for more of the Holy Spirit to empower us, to embolden us, to give us the courage, um, to be able to, to walk this life out, what he has for us. So, um, you, the Holy Spirit breaks off fear, man. Amen. And I th- I do think we need to pray for more boldness. We've referenced the scripture before, not so much in the context of boldness, but there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, two chapters later, they're praying for boldness. The house they were all in shook with the power of God. We have to beg God to to break us of the fear of man, to give us a holy fear of him. We do have to pray. As Laura said, though, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that things are going to feel easy, but we'll be able to do something hard. And so being being strong isn't that. Um, you just never have anything heavy to lift, but you can just lift things that are heavier. I don't know if that's a good way to describe it. So there's still a sense that even as God is freeing us of the fear of man, things will still still feel uncomfortable to some extent. But as we actually step out, it does become easier. Like I've stepped out, prayed with people in the airport, shared words with them, prayed for people in healing at the store. There's some awkwardness and discomfort, but it does get easier. The last thing I'll say about this is when we're praying for healing, and even happens in the, the gospel some as well, when someone is prayed for for healing, sometimes they have to try to do something they couldn't do before. Jesus prays for the man who couldn't see. He says, okay, try to look around. Or the paralytic, stand up and walk. And so we, we're praying, constantly praying, God, break me of the fear of man. Give me a holy fear of you. We have to try to do something that we couldn't Amen. do before. Amen. Yeah, keep going. No, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I just think we 100% have to um, not be satisfied where we are. We can't be comfortable. We can't be satiated. We can't just be satisfied. Um, and, you know, if we believe that we're always going to be this way because that's the way we've always been, then um, we believe that death is our Savior and not Jesus Christ. Um, because he can save us from everything, even ourselves. To, not, to deny change is to deny God. That's what my uh, rector, Father Mason, said in seminary. Well, I uh, let. Uh, I don't know if you want to hop in here, Joe, but I think we should probably uh, start landing the plane here just to draw this episode to a conclusion. One of our desires is to not be one of the, uh, those many podcasts that have three-hour episodes. <laughs> Not that we have to do that, but it's a desire of ours. But go ahead. Were you going to say something, Joe? Yeah, I just, my just final thoughts. I mean, we need to have a whole podcast about fear of the Lord um, because the Lord's really convicted me of the absolute necessity for that in my life and for the whole church. Um, It is, it's not just the term that we use to frame uh, something about, about the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a very powerful reality that just purifies us cleanses us from that from the just the basically what enslaves us and what what holds us in kind of this unhealthy bondage to fear of man 
And the last thing, I neglected to say this earlier when I was talking about, you know, um, this need for human approval and, 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 uh, and this kind of dependency. Ultimately, the reason why, why this, this is, is, is such a, a bad thing for our relationships and for our ministries, because when we're not in freedom, we're not able to love. We cannot love the people that we're ministering to Amen. when we're seeking their approval and their affirmation. Because we're not free, we're not. We're just not able to walk in that freedom, by which we love them not in a condescending way, but in a way that's um, truly seeking their good, just apart from apart from what we want, and what we need. So, um, yeah, we just need to pray for the Holy Spirit to give us that fear of the Lord, to give us the beginning of wisdom. You know, the delight of Jesus was in the fear of the Lord. It says in in Isaiah, that was his delight. So that needs to be our delight as well. Yeah, it's it's through fear of the Lord that we are open ourselves to receive His love. And Saint John says, you know, famously, yes. "Perfect love casts out all fear." But it's not just like, "Well, I gotta get over the opinion of other people and get myself all detached and totally indifferent to the opinions of other people, and then I'll start fearing the Lord." It's like I think. It, fear of the Lord is it's the beginning of wisdom it's, it's like start there you know start with seeking the Lord start with trying to love the Lord more trying to open yourself in prayer and in other ways to to receive his love and that will drive out the fear I mean you you know it's like there's different there's different ways to uh, change your priorities and you can like you can try to dethrone whoever's at the top if that's other people, other human beings, or you can just like do things actively through prayer, spending time with the Lord, spending time in scripture. Scripture is God's word to us. So like the more your mind is filled with those things, what the Lord is saying, what the Lord says about who we are, then there's just not room for the opinion of other people. And that perfect love will cast out all fear. Another scripture where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So we do just need more of the Holy Spirit, but it's important to be intentional about how we pray for that. Also, Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God or children of God, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption through which we cry, Abba, Father. So the opposite, yes, in some in certain sense, courage is still the opposite of fear, being brave, but maybe in a deeper spiritual level or another way of looking at it is the opposite of fear is sonship or daughtership. So if you don't want to live in fear, we, we need a closer relationship with the Father. We need this. We need the, the spirit of adoption. We need the, the Holy Spirit. And so that's something for us to really lean into. To close, I just want to ask you to reflect on, like, what would your life look like you as a member of your church, you as a member of your family, whatever context you find yourself in, what would your life like look like if you didn't have any fear? Isn't that desirable? Like don't do you want to live in true freedom? It does not make any sense to say someone can be free without and have sorry, it doesn't make any sense to say someone can be free and have fear at the same time at least in any significant way. As Americans, we look back at slavery and we just think it's horrible because it was. 
But the reality is that we, so many of us, and at times myself included, so many of us are in bondage, we're in slavery to fear. So it's it's interesting that we're so repulsed by slavery, but we're just so, so heavily, we're in such bondage to fear. And it's, it's sometimes, I mean, primarily it's preventing us from what God wants us to do, but sometimes it's even preventing us from doing what we want to do in our relationships, in our family in our community. And so just have the faith that if we continue to persevere as a church, all of us together, we're going to pray for more boldness as the early disciples did in Acts chapter four. We're going to pray for this. We're going to pray for more holy fear of the Lord. We're going to pray that God break the fear of man off of us. And we're going to be persistent and know that when you're asking something that God wants you to have, have faith and expectation that he's going to provide. If I'm asking God for a million dollars, well, you know, might not get that. But if you're praying for something that God wants you to have, pray with faith and expectation. So unless anyone else has other thoughts, I'm just going to close in a prayer. Okay, we're going to close in a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we repent of the endless times where we've not done what we're supposed to endless times we've not shared the gospel, the the endless times we've been afraid of sharing our faith, of expressing our faith, of of letting it be known that we are we are your disciples. Please forgive us for for the many times we've cared more about what other people think than what you think. And and just we were sorry we asked for your forgiveness and we ask for a spirit of adoption. Lord, I pray in the name of your son Jesus to send us a spirit of adoption, that we would feel the security, this harness of the Father's love, that everyone would be renewed and their identity as a son or daughter, that it doesn't matter what anyone thinks because you, the infinite God of the universe, love us, you've chosen us, and you delight in us, and that your love is secure. Please free us in Jesus' name, from the fear of man. Help us to be your hands and feet. Help us to even do what is maybe ridiculous in the eyes of the world out of obedience to you in order to to spread the gospel, in order to live how you're calling us to live. So please continue to, to free us from this vice so that we would walk as the early disciples did, that we would walk as the early saints did. So we ask all this in, in Christ, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Name the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, I do want to say thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for being here. I hope to have you again soon. Mm-hmm.